bless you. We're going to have a very special day on 11-9, November 9th. And on that day, we're calling it Tag a Friend Sunday. Now, the word tag, if you're in social media at all, you know that it's an invitation to join in. It's an invitation to be a part. And so we're kind of pulling from that social media thing and just saying, tag a friend. On 11-9, we're going to have a strong, powerful evangelistic outreach. And we're building up to it. Our staff's been working on it already for a couple of months behind the scenes. But we're going to believe God to save your mama, your daddy, your spouse, your child, your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, that one that you didn't think could be saved. We're going to believe that they're going to be saved. We're looking at maybe even being in three services on that day because uh, we may need it because everybody's going to bring somebody. Each one is going to reach one and every, we're all going to tag a friend. Listen, the time is short and Jesus is calling people to himself. So I want you to start getting cranked. Now you can see it up here. We thought that that uh, little banner there was big until you put it on that huge wall and it shrunk. But you see it on the screen as well. Tag a friend. So say with me 11-9. That's, listen, we're going to remember that more than 9-11. We're just reversing it and saying 11-9. And we're going to believe God to save a, a multitude of people. So from now until then, I'm going to be sharing out of the Bible, out of the New Testament, people who Jesus encountered, people that Jesus talked to, people that Jesus stopped and spent time with. We're either going to see him walking up to them and talking to them or them running up to him and grabbing him and then he entering into conversation with them. But we're going to look at several different types of people and I want us to keep in mind that he's the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. Jesus hasn't changed. So as he talked to people then, guess what? He talks to people now. So we're going to read John 5, 1 through 8. And I'm going to begin this series by just talking to you about the man at the pool. And this is straight out of the story of the pool of Bethesda. Let's read it. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now look at this. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches and one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Ouch. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Wouldn't you like the Lord to say that to you? But he does say that to you. Would you like to get well? He said, I can't, sir, for I have nobody to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets ahead of me. And Jesus told him, let's read this together. It's so powerful. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Hmm. I, I had Holy Ghost bumps on that. Isn't that a great word? Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessing today. Lord, I pray that you will put in our spirits a vision for the lost being saved. Give us a supernatural burden that we've never had. And Lord, place on our hearts 
those who we can target, who we can focus on, who we can pray for, and who we can invite to 11-9. And Lord, we as a church family agree together that that day is going to be a day of destiny, a day of glory, a day of breakthrough, a day of deliverance, a day of healing, a day of answered prayer. And families and individuals are never going to be the same because of 11-9. Now, can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them somebody's going to be saved that you know. Amen. Jesus talks to people. Now, there's probably a psychiatrist or two out, out there that would say that's psychosis. No, it's not psychosis at all. God is real and God still talks. I, I found this interesting. A new Barna survey finds that a majority of Americans believe Jesus speaks to them in some form or another. Now, I said a majority of Americans believe that Jesus speaks to them. In one form or another, 52% of Americans said Jesus speaks to them by influencing or, or, or connecting directly with their mind, their emotions, or their feelings. Think about that. 52, one of two, believe that Jesus speaks personally to them. Slightly more than two in five people said Jesus communicates with them through the Bible passage that they read or that is read to them. And more than one-third of the population of America said Jesus communicates to them through signs. Now, these signs included sermons or teachings that addressed their immediate situation. They said Jesus himself spoke to me through that. Miraculous circumstances. They said something happens. And Jesus spoke to me through this, this event, this, this miracle. He spoke to me. Or undeniable answers to prayer. And through words spoken to them by somebody else when the somebody else didn't even know that they were being used by Jesus to speak to them. Now, now this being true, uh, you can agree with me that Jesus is doing a whole lot of talking. Jesus is talking to a lot of people. I've read stories where Muslims who cannot uh, receive Christian witnesses, they're in nations where Christian witnesses can't get to them, are having Jesus appear to them and speak to them personally and tell them that he's the Savior. So Jesus is speaking, and it doesn't surprise me at all, because Jesus is the same, says Hebrews 13, verse 8. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. So if he spoke to people back then, talked to them, stopped them, confronted them, ministered to them, then he's the same today. And he's always going to be that way forever. Now, throughout his ministry, I love reading the Gospels, where you see Jesus encountering various kinds of people. Large number of different people were approached by Jesus or approached Jesus, and he entered conversation with them. Men, women, boys, girls, down and outers, what, what I like to call up and outers, the, the seemingly successful, but they're down on the inside. The sick, the successful, religious and non-religious, desperate people and people that were comfortable with life, 
spoke to him and he spoke to them. Deeply flawed people and those that seem to have it all together, like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He spoke with people living on the sharp edge of despair. And those that were simply curious as to who he was, like Zacchaeus, climbed the tree because he was a short man and he had heard so much about Jesus, he was curious, so he got up in this tree to see him. And Jesus knew who was looking for him, spotted him, and said, come down, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he went to Zacchaeus' house and it was never the same. Zacchaeus is one of the ones I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks. Now, here, here I notice as well that his encounters with people in the New Testament were generally brief but powerful. Let me tell you something, church. One word from Jesus will change your life. One word. One carefully spoken, of course, and they all are. One word spoken into your pain, spoken into your dilemma, can change your life. So he didn't really, he was not really a very wordy person unless he was teaching some incredible teaching like the Sermon on the Mount. But here's what I noticed. Though it was brief, it was powerful, and his encounters with these people are packed with truth and meaning for us today. Um, None of these people, and I mean none of them, left the same when they encountered Jesus. I get a kick out of it. I think God has a sense of humor, but I noticed that some of them, when Jesus walked away, they were in a state of semi-shock, speechless. Because of something he said or something he did. Jesus was arresting. Jesus was magnetic. He was not handsome. The Bible says there is no beauty about him that we would desire him. But he was instantly attractive and magnetic because of the anointing, the persona, the grace, the power of his words And the way he moved among people. When you met him, he looked at you and read your mail, though he never knew you. Jesus was so easy to love. Unless you love sin. And then he wasn't. But when he met people, they left amazed, stunned, changed. They left convinced of his sonship. More times than not, they left either healed of sickness, delivered of torment, or he lifted their spirits out of hopeless despair. The Bible says he went about everywhere doing only good, healing everybody who was oppressed of the devil. I'll tell you, there is a great solution for depression. His name is Jesus. There is a great answer for the blues. His name is Jesus. There is a clearer up of all of your confusion. His name is Jesus. I didn't come today to be religious. I came to tell you about a man, the man, Jesus Christ. He's the answer for our country. He's the answer for our world. He's your answer and he's my answer. And he's the answer for a lost and dying culture. Now we're going to look at some of the encounters he had with these various people as a faith builder because I want our faith built that if he changed these people, he can change the people you know, that you've prayed for, that are around you, who you love, who you have been brought into contact with by God. They're in your sphere of relationships and they need to be saved. And so I want to share these stories with you to build your faith that God can change anybody. God can save anybody. 
There is no case too hard for God. Look at you. Amen. Here you are in church on a Sunday morning when the cowboys kick at noon. And rather than sitting there in front of that idol that all of your living room furniture is turned towards and watching people chase leather down a field, you're in church praising God. What happened to you? <laughs> so let's begin today by looking at this man at the pool. This man at the pool, and he intrigues me. Let me give you the setting of the story real quickly. Jesus was on his way to a festival in Jerusalem. He was on his way to a celebration, probably either the day of Passover or the uh, day of atonement. Passover feast or day of atonement. So he was on his way to a celebration. And as he entered the city of Jerusalem, he took an unannounced, unexpected detour to what was called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda means the house of mercy. So here he is going to a celebration and in his sovereignty, in his sovereign will, he just took a detour and he walked up to this pool. But I want to tell you, though, it was called House of Mercy. What he saw was anything but merciful. First thing he saw was a crowd. The Bible says, listen to this, how it describes them, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So you, you, you see, you get this view. What he walked into was, was more like walking into the, the critical care unit of a hospital rather than a peaceful pool. People are just languishing with no more hope. Doctors haven't been able to help them. They are in their last step before death. They've paid money to be healed. Physicians have given up. They have now turned to the miraculous. There's nothing else but to believe that something is going to happen to them at this pool. So Jesus encountered, I'm talking industrial strength, desperation, hopelessness, pain, and death filled the air. He chose to go there rather than to a celebration. Now, since I don't believe that Jesus did anything by accident and never does, I believe that it was intended by God who knew we were going to have this story, who knew we were going to read this, that there would be an application for us today, that there would be a, a meaning for us today beyond the fact that Jesus finally heals a man there. But there is a picture here, there is a snapshot that, that I walk away with when I read this story. So here's what I see. The crowd that greeted Jesus was, spiritually speaking, a perfect picture of lost humanity, a portrait of the people that surround us today in homes right now who are not in church, who don't know God, this slice of humanity around this pool, lame, blind, crippled, and paralyzed, is exactly the way people are spiritually in the United States of America who don't know God. We need to know that today. You know, there was a famous book that came out years ago. It was called, I'm Okay, You're Okay. But you know what? I'm Okay, You're Okay was not okay because we're not okay. We're not okay. We're not okay without God. Can I tell you, America is not okay. A, a big slot, most of America is not okay. 
Do you know what America's problem is? Uh, America's problem is not essentially, not at its root. It's not politicians. It's not a drug problem or a pornography problem or or any of these other things. The, the, The problem with America is its departure from God. That's the problem with America. Because when you depart from God, you end up, you are just like these people that surrounded this pool, lame, blind, crippled, paralyzed. I'm not okay. You're not okay if I don't have God and you don't. We're not okay at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says without apology. Can I tell you what the Bible says about mankind without God? The Bible says without apology that the human race is lost, L-O-S-T, lost, all caps, lost. Jesus said of himself, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I find it interesting that he went past tense. He didn't say that is lost. I came to save what is lost, but was lost. He was referring back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and they sinned against God and broke his word and fell. And from that moment forward, their sin was superimposed on the entire human race, and we were lost when they were lost. So Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost then and remains lost now. The word lost is so much more than somebody who can't find their way. We've all been lost, lost in the woods, something like that. Terrible feeling, but it's far more than that. The the word lost, the Greek word it's translated from, means to be ruined, to be destroyed by wandering away from God. It means your soul has been completely ruined, utterly destroyed. I'm not okay. You're not okay. When you're apart from God, you're not okay. Actually, you are in the process of ruination and destruction. According to Jesus Christ, I came to seek and to save that which was ruined, that which was destroyed by wandering from God. We don't hear this much anymore, and shame on the fact that we don't. Because how are you ever going to get better if you don't know what's wrong? The Bible's very clear about this. Listen to Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. All. We've turned every one to his own way. What's the matter with mankind? Why the wars? Why the rape? Why the pillage? Why the drugs? Why all the destruction? Why everything we see that breaks our heart in this culture? It is because everyone has turned their own way. Like sheep, we've wandered away from God. And not one person is exempted. Not one person is an exception. Not one. The Bible also testifies that just like these poor people languishing at that pool, we can't help or save ourselves. The Bible says that only one made it down to the water when the water is stirred. The rest of them couldn't make it. The rest of them remained sick. We can't help or save ourselves just like they can't couldn't. Before a person knows Christ, the Bible says he lives in this world without God and without hope, Ephesians 2.12. Without God and without hope. The Bible goes a step further and says, and you know, I never saw this until I've been preaching 40 years. 
And I have never seen it like I saw this this week. This hit me, and I've never caught it. Catch this now. The Bible tells us that we don't even have the capacity to seek God apart from his help. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. So unless the Spirit draws you, when you hear the preaching of the Word, when you hear the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Spirit draws you, if He doesn't draw you, if He doesn't convict you, you will never realize your state. Romans 3, verse 10, listen to this. No one is righteous. No, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one. So, Pastor Jeff, I know people that are seeking God. Not that God. There's people seeking idols. There's people seeking the God of their own choice, the God that they choose, the God that they want. But the Bible is telling us that Fallen man will never seek the true holy God unless the Holy Spirit pricks him, calls him, allures him, draws him. So when you feel that drawing, friend, you better run to Jesus. So just like the crippled, blind, and paralyzed surrounding the pool of Bethesda, We also are spiritually crippled, unable to walk the path that God has called us to walk. We're blind in that we cannot see the truth without God's help. And we're paralyzed in that we can't save ourselves. Folks, I couldn't save myself and you can't save yourself. Salvation is all of him and none of us. By grace, you were saved through faith and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, but it is a gift of God. Salvation is all of him and none of us. None of us. So I say again, when you feel that drawing and that calling on the part of God, calling you to Jesus Christ, run to him. Because you may not ever be drawn like that again. The Bible is very clear about our helpless condition with respect to saving ourselves. Listen to this. While we were still without strength, helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, somebody would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. You might die for a good man. You might die for a righteous man. Probably nobody in here would do even that. I I wouldn't. I wish I could say I would, but I would chicken out. I might do it for one of my children, Kathy, but it stops there. And even then, you'd have to anesthetize me. (laughs) But Jesus stretched out his hands and feet and died for you and me when we were spitting in his face. That's love. Can we just lift our hands for a minute and just thank the Lord? Jesus, say with me, Jesus, thank you. Dying for me when I was helpless. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? That's worth coming to church for right there.
Now, everything I just told you about somebody lost, not okay, it applies to anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ personally. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, friends, loved ones, all of them, they're all helpless, can't save themselves unless God the Holy Spirit touches them and they are drawn when they hear the gospel. And that's going to happen on 11.9. Now, the next thing we see in our story, first you, you, you've, got this, uh, you've got Jesus coming on the scene. First thing you've got is that crowd that Jesus sees, but then you've got a pool. Now, when I read this story, I've got to tell you, for me, the pool of Bethesda is not a place of hope. The pool of Bethesda is a picture of false hope. When I read about this pool, I see a place of false hope. Listen to the way it's described. It says all the sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waited for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Don't you know when that water stirred, there was a race. Now I want you to picture something with me. I, I, again, that looks to me like a pool of false hope. Hundreds were gathered at this pool. They all sat there waiting with bated breath for the waters to suddenly be stirred by an angel. Can you imagine this? Now we're not told how often the waters are stirred. Once a day, once a month, once a year, we don't know. We're not told. But we do know that when that water stirred, and it says by an angel, that there was a race for that water, and the first person that touched that water was healed. You know, you can be sure of one thing, that every eye was peeled on that pool all day long. When they went to sleep, they went to sleep with one eye open. When they talked to somebody, they didn't look at them. They were staring at that pool. Because if I see that water stir and I make it down to that pool, I'm healed. If I'm the first one to touch it, I'm healed. But folks, can you imagine living this kind of life? That's no life. This was not a great situation. This was not something you would want. Can you imagine living with the endless tension the inability to lean back and rest with your eyes closed lest you miss the moving of the water? Can you imagine living that way? And on top of that, only one person got healed while the rest experienced frustration and dashed hope over and over and over and over again. And, you know, this occurred to me. The one that did get healed was the one who needed it least because he was healthy enough to get to the water first. So the terminal, the paralyzed, the truly needy couldn't make it. They couldn't get down there. They had to watch the healthiest among them run and get healed of whatever it was and then jump and leap and have the greatest day of their life while they themselves sat there with deferred hope, which makes the heart sick. Well, we missed it again. I missed it again, missed it again. The pool of Bethesda offered no real answer for the, the dilemma of 99% of them. So it was a pool of false hope. Now I see in this story the illustration of the entire human race whose eyes are peeled on various things that they believe are going to heal their pain. America is full of such things. 
There are so many pools of Bethesda, pools of false hope in America. You can start with the major cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science. We had dinner with a couple Friday night, and when Kathy and I drove up, two young Mormon men on their bicycles were just two houses down, and the woman who had us over uh, to say hello said, man, they were just outside. I was hoping you'd get here before they moved on. But I look at these young men who get out there on these bikes and they go from home to home doing their missionary duty according to the Mormons. And I think of a pool of false hope, cults, Christian science. So many of the so-called Hollywood actors and actresses are involved in Christian science. Tom Cruise, Oh, so many of them. And I read about them and I think, what a shame because it's a pool of false hope. They claim to be the answer for troubled souls. Yet for every one person who claims to have been helped, multitudes more remain frustrated, confused, and lost because it doesn't satisfy. It's a false stream. And then there's the self-help programs led by various gurus promising to know the way to life and a peace, and we've all heard them. Oprah always had them on her show, these various people. And now there's Oprah's life class, promising fulfillment other than Christ. One guru, I looked him up, and I, and I, and I want to quote to you what this guru teaches his people, said, the individual's need for fulfillment can be satisfied by turning within themselves to contact a constant source of peace and joy. Well, doesn't that sound pretty? There's no answer within you. As a matter of fact, you don't find anything looking in. You find something looking up. The Bible says, look up, looking unto Jesus. Pools of false hope like these people who sat in front of this pool day after day, year after year, hoping that it was going to give them some kind of an answer, some kind of a healing. Still, other people moved to the false pool of drugs or the pool of religion or the pool of materialism. If I just earn enough, if I can acquire enough, own enough things and stuff, I'll be happy and fulfilled. But they never are. They never have enough. Have you ever noticed that? And they reach the end of their life with hot sand sifting through their fingers, having walked through the desert of this, this world, chasing mirage after mirage that doesn't, didn't satisfy. So many things promise they're going to heal you and bless you and save you and bring you peace, but they don't. I had a friend who just got back from Scotland, and I talked to him yesterday. He said, Jeff, I was just in Scotland. I was there for that historic vote. But he said, you know, he said, man, those, those Scottish people do nothing but drink. He said, in the morning, they start with beer. And in the afternoon, they start with the whiskey. And they drink all day long. They are essentially, and I'm not, if you're from Scotland, I'm Scottish, so don't get at me. He was just there. But he said, he said, man, he said, a bunch of them just seem like functioning alcoholics. And he said, do you know what they call alcohol? And I said, what? And he said, they call it living water. And I said, it made me want to get on some television show in Scotland. Say, let me tell you where the real living water is. Living water is not alcohol. 
Let me tell you, church, there's no answer at the bottom of that bottle. Uh, alcohol is the water of regret, the water of bad decisions. Now, listen, I can tell you about a water that once you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit of the living God. And Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. And thank God he knocked on the door of my heart one day and showed me that that's where the real life was. So I drink, but I don't drink alcohol. I drink from the fountain of living waters that Jesus gives. What about you? But... Just like this crowd of needy people gathered at Bethesda's pool, we experience frustration and disillusionment with all these various false options. And it reminds me of one of Isaiah's penetrating questions to his own straying people. Listen to what he said. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And why do you spend your wages for that which does not satisfy? And then he said, listen carefully to me. This is God talking through the prophet. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Let me tell you, folks, Jesus won't let you down. You will never get in trouble for drinking of that water, and it won't destroy you. It will heal you. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want you to know that out there, so many people you know are at the pools of false hope. And every day they're hoping that something changes their life, that something sets them free, that something answers the call and the cry of their soul. And you have the answer. Which leads me straight to what happened next. It's good news. The Savior paid a visit to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, the good shepherd, Jesus, the satisfier of the hungry soul, visited the pool of Bethesda. And I noticed something. Jesus chose to go there. No one at that pool knew to go send somebody to find Jesus and bring him there. Jesus was on his way to a celebration. And being the Jesus I know, He said, celebration can wait. I'm going where the pain is. I'm going where the need is. I'm going where the hurt is. I'm going where the bound are. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to reveal the source of real hope and not false hope. So in his sovereign will, Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda because he wanted to. Let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad Jesus visited your Bethesda one day? I remember my Bethesda. I was sitting in juvenile home. I had been, I had been see- seeking something at the place of false hope, and it was drugs. But when I was sitting in juvenile home, Jesus decided to come into my Bethesda, and Jesus sent somebody to talk to me. And when I heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost reached out and grabbed me by the heart and drew me near to him. I felt the conviction of sin the conviction of judgment to come, I knew that if the judge I was about to see knew a little bit of what I did, the judge I was hearing about knew everything that I did. But Jesus was an attorney who was free, pro bono, that if I brought to him my sin, he would bring to me his righteousness. And so sitting in juvenile home, he visited my Bethesda. He sovereignly came to me. And when I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart, he came into me and fellowshiped with me and changed my life. What about you? (laughs) 
If he hadn't come knocking, you'd still be there. If he hadn't come and called our name, we'd still be languishing at some pool of false hope. But thank God he came knocking. And if any man hears my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And church, somebody you know needs deliverance from false pools of false hope and they need it today. Now what blesses me in this story is that Jesus, when he visited the pool, he had hundreds to choose from. He chose the worst of the worst to reach. He walks up to this man who'd been 38 years. We don't know what happened to him. We know that he wasn't born paralyzed because he was older than 38. Something happened. He had an accident or some disease, but he lost his ability to walk, his ability to move. He's paralyzed. He's been for 38 years hoping, wishing, seeking, reaching. What's my answer? What's going to help me? How am I ever going to get out of this? He couldn't help himself. He was crippled physically. He didn't know who Jesus even was. He was blind spiritually. His hope was in frail man. He said, I have no man to help me into the pool. He said to Jesus, this man was destined to lie there in the hopeless spot by this pool of Bethesda until he died except for the sovereign hand of Jesus Christ who came walking into his life just because he chose to. No wonder it's called amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me because I didn't know to reach out to him. I didn't know to turn to him. But he came to me and Jesus singled him out and talked to him and said, he asked him a very strange question. He said, do you want to get well? I've been here 38 years. Do I want to get well? It's like going up to somebody with a flat tire on the highway. He's been sitting there for a year. You want a tire? And I thought, why would Jesus ask him that? And then it occurred to me why he did. Here, church, here's why Jesus said, do you want to get well? Because he always wants to be invited into our pain. He wants to be invited into our dilemma. He wants to be invited into our situation. He is not like the devil who knocks the door down. He is a gentleman. He wants to be invited. So he said, do you want to get well? He was saying to this man, do you want me to help you. Are you ready to walk away from this pool of false hope and let me help you? Are you ready? And then there's another reason I really believe Jesus asked him that because some people, I've seen this in my own ministry, though they need to be healed badly, they don't want it badly enough to come to him, the real source of healing. I've had people tell me, oh, I know I'm all messed up, but I'm going to stay right here with this pool of false hope. I'm going to stay with this that has never helped me, this idol, this thing that has never done it for me, but I don't want to come to him. And that's where Jesus said, this is the condemnation, that light came into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So Jesus said, I want you to welcome me, invite me, receive me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. But you've got to open the door. And this man said, you got it. 
Yes, I want to be healed. Now, we don't read him saying that, but clearly it was in his face. It was in his eyes. Jesus sensed in him an acceptance. So Jesus said those incredible words to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly, the power of God surged into his atrophied muscles, enabling him to stand up whole and healed. And what 38 years at the pool of false hope couldn't do, Jesus did in 60 seconds flat. Amen. Now here's the application for us today. Let me just bring this home. All around us, people are at the pool of Bethesda. And our Jesus has called us here. He walked into your pool of Bethesda and he saved you. He delivered you. He healed you. Yes, you go through stuff. Yes, you hurt sometimes. You're not in some supernatural bubble of protection where you don't ever feel pain. But the bottom line is you're saved by grace. He is sustaining you. He is leading you. He is restoring you. He is transforming you. You've got hope in a hopeless world. We know that though it looks like the world is falling apart, he's got everything under control. We have peace in the middle of a storm. We know him. But all around you, friends and family and coworkers are at this pool of Bethesda. And they're not being helped. And they need for Jesus to walk into their situation. Can we stand together today? So you know what? We're going to release... 1,500 evangelists out of this church. And we're going to believe God that on 11-9, Jesus walks into a whole lot of pools of Bethesda and delivers a whole lot of people. Do you believe that he can do that? Do you believe he can do that? Oh, I know he can. I know he can. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. that today we stand only by grace. That you reached into our pain and you healed us and you helped us and you delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And Lord, we see the story of this man at the pool, hopeless if you had not walked into his life. Lord, you gave us a picture. You gave us a picture of how you operate. I'm going to lead you, church, in a simple prayer. Let's just turn our hands towards the Lord. I want you to, I'm going to open up by just saying, Lord, we bring to you, and I want you to fill in the blank. You might be able to be able to think of someone right now who you know needs this grace. Lord, we bring to you, now fill in the blank, I bring to you. As you walked into the life of this man at the pool, walk into and name them again. Walk into their life. And on 11-9, do a miracle. 
with every head bowed. Some of you have drifted from God. And maybe there's some here who have never said, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to invite you to do it today. If there was ever an hour to get right with God, this is it. If you've drifted and walked away and you just got involved in other things and you know your relationship is not where it used to be, I want to tell you the porch light is still on in God's house. I'm going to lead those two categories, those two types of people in prayer right now. If you want to pray it with me, pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me, rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Forgive me for drifting. Wash me of all my sin. I'm coming home. And Lord, I've never accepted you. But I ask you to come into my heart right now. As that man allowed you into his pain, I invite you into my heart, Lord. I open the door. In the name of Jesus. Jesus.